What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the Screenwriting Podcast. It's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Um, coming to you live from a beautiful afternoon in Laurel Canyon. It's 4.20. Uh, I am a little baked, but I feel like that is sort of comes with the territory, if you know me. Uh, today is going to be awesome. I love today's guest. Uh, Heather Flanders is on the podcast She's hysterical. I'm so excited that she came to Laurel Canyon to talk with me. Uh, we met when I was a staff writer on Undateable, and I just immediately found her to be hysterical. And uh, she's written on some killer shows. She's written on The Mick. She's written on iCarly. She's written on The Cool Kids. She's written on Kevin Can Wait. She's written on Mixedish. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. She's developed her own series at Netflix. She develops all the time. Uh, and hopefully, with any luck, we'll be seeing Heather on the New York Times bestselling author list because she's got a really dope idea for a book. Uh, and I hope she writes it because I will be reading it uh, for sure. Uh, so, you know, today we're going to keep it short and sweet. I don't really have a really big, fun comedy bit for you. Uh, the world's in a real horrible place. Uh, so I'm just going to get right to it. Strap in, smoke up, drink up. Here's another episode of Write Who You Know with my friend and writer, Heather Flanders. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and you have some bigger attachments. Tell them write what you know. No, tell them write who you know. I don't think people genuinely reach out to people they admire enough yeah. in their own business just to say I read something you wrote this song even if it goes nowhere even on I do it sometimes on Instagram I'll DM someone and just be like hey I loved your movie and I know they're never getting back to me but like I don't know it makes me feel good and it just feels like if anyone did that for me I would probably be blown away life is so thankless dude you hit the nail on the head that's what I always say and what I said to him I was like uh you know Brett uh this is a very thankless job that we have. And when someone does something spectacular, I think you need to tell them. And for those of us who have been following your work since 1985 and connecting the dots through books and movies, and you know, it's like you're like your own Kevin Smith in a weird way. Like, yeah, you've 100%. created your own universe. And there are parts of LA that I cannot go without thinking of a scene from Lesson Zero, like Carney's on Sunset or the Bruin Theater in Westwood. And he and I said, you know, I thought long and hard about whether I would play it cool with you at dinner. But if you're going to sit here and ask me what Lesson Zero means, <laughs> I have no chill. And after he goes, tell me more. Like, he was, like, so funny. <laughs> he was so. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Like, my parents knew. Like, my parents had to read two terrible books I wrote in high school. One was called Dying to Get Laid. Like, I read Lesson Zero, and I was like, I can Dying write a book, too. Dying to Get Laid. If my kid gave me that <laughs> I book, I would die. <laughs> it was about a kid who was afraid he was going to die before losing his virginity. So awful. <laughs> so, But, like, my parents were like. It was truly a like you you did like you did it, and I met Bourdain once, and I like had a very bad that experience. Would, oh, that's and tough. I love the, him. I don't me know too. If I want to know? It's it's fine. It wasn't like I'll just tell you because okay. I think it's hysterical. We were at a concert together. There was an after party next door, and Bourdain left like in the middle of the encore to like not have to fucking deal with people and go to this bar next door called Monty's. And so I like followed him over there, and we were in there for like five minutes. It was just us and the bartender, and he was at the bar. And a friend of mine from high school works at CNN and had worked on Parts Unknown and said, you know, I know you love him. If you ever do meet him, by the way, like nobody calls him Anthony. You don't call him Mr. Bourdain. You call him Tony. And I was like, okay. 
And so I said, "Excuse me, Tony." <laughs> and he, and, oh no! And he turned he turned around, <laughs> and I said, "I just want to oh, tell you, like, you're Tony. the last living rock and roll journalist, and I I thank you so much for what you do." And he went, "Thanks," and turned around. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't blame him. It's I'm not sure I, horrible. No, it's not great. No, but in my head, it's like he's like, "Hey, Matt, do you like tapas? I know a place, you know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> right? You know, like Something. that's what I wanted." That's yeah, what I want. A little bit more engagement would have been nice. Totally. I do wonder just with the setup of that if there was I've heard he was an alcoholic. Like maybe he just needed that drink a oh, little yeah. bit more than he needed conversation. Yeah, he was you know, and he was probably going through stuff with Asia sure. Argento oh, at that time. That was a tough time. I wasn't really <laughs> no. contextualizing that, it. What a hot start with Tony. That is a bold <laughs> move, my friend. What would you have that, called him? I would have called him Anthony. Okay. I just probably or Mr. Bourdain or Maybe anything but hey, Tone. Tony. Tony's so aggressive. <laughs> so Brett, by the way, so he's he recommended this book to watch. We it, it was the night of the uh, and just like that Sex and the City finale. Okay. So he and I were texting. He's like, "Why do you think so many people like after 25 years? It's amazing that the show is still on. Like, what is it about it for you?" I was like, "Truly, like Sarah Jessica Parker. Like, I think she's magnetic. I don't know what it is." I love her. I love mm-hmm. that it's like a character that's a writer. Like I don't, I, 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 I don't know what it is, but I'm like drawn to her. You know, the rest of it, like with Che and Miranda and like <laughs> Harry and the, and like it makes me want to puke. I'm just like, well, you guys have turned this into character yeah. at this point. But I can't not look away. Like I, and so then from there he was like, he was like, now what do I watch? I was like, well, I really like the Flash. Oh my god, the fact that you are giving him <laughs> recommendations of T. I don't know what to do with this information. I don't either, other than to just, like, pinch myself. Yeah. Because I'm, like, it made me, in a time where I've been, like, very much, like, why are we doing this? This mm-hmm. sucks. It made me be, like, oh, yeah, that's why. Like, because, like, I'm a writer, and I take pride in being a writer, and, like, getting to go to dinner with my fucking writer hero is, like, that is probably the top three moments of my whole life, other than, you know, my wedding or, you know, whatever Yeah, else. it is, like, I feel like that's the best part of what we do, too, is like working with really interesting, cool people who you aspire to be like or you can learn from and and humanizing everyone. Like I do think that that's the, the fun part for me is like everything seems so shiny and then once you get to know people, it's not disappointing that they're just people. It yeah. actually makes them more interesting because yeah. everyone's story is and how they function and how they, they're, yeah, it's just really fascinating. You need to keep, I think fanboying is the right space. I think he's enjoying that, and I think he needs that a little bit, and you can play into that for yeah. a little while longer. Yeah. And then yeah. a friendship will, a true friendship could yeah. come. To, to bring this back to you, what like do you, oh. what, what made you know? We don't have to. Oh, are we recording? No. I don't even know. I just start, I just start recording. I'm sorry. No, fine. It's okay. Just, I just start yeah. recording, and at some point, I'll just fucking. Oh, great. Um, but I wanted to ask you, like, growing up, like, did you know you wanted to be a writer? Like, did you love movies or books or TV? Like, how did you come to this horrible um, profession of ours? I know. Here I am. So I grew up in Rhode Island. My dad, for the first part of my childhood, was a lawyer. And then the second part, he was um, on the state Supreme Court. So he was a judge. Oh, my mom was a homemaker. They're both from very middle class families, East Coast families, Irish Catholic. I have like a thousand aunts and uncles and cousins There is no tie to this industry (laughs) whatsoever. Could not be further away. But I I feel like from a very young age, 
there were a few things. I had stars in my eyes. I loved movies. I couldn't, I just could not get enough of them. And I think as a family, we loved movies. One of my earliest memories is we had um, our whole, my mom's side of the family, the whole family shared a cottage in Cape Cod. And there was a drive-in there. And I remember being probably like seven and it was a double feature of E.T. and Back to the Future. And I just remember sitting in my uncle's truck like fighting sleep so hard because I wanted to stay up and finish Back to the Future so badly. So there was just a, a deep love of movies. My mom loved movies. There was a love of humor, too. We loved SNL as a family. Yeah, we were and, a big SNL family, And too. the vacation movies. We loved the Cosby show. Bless those two horrible men that I just sort of mentioned. <laughs> um, but they did make really funny stuff that we enjoyed. So I, I loved movies. I was always a writer. Like, I remember as a very young kid writing, and that was my thing. Like, my parents knew that was my thing. My teachers recognized pretty early on that I was good at it, and I knew that I was good at it. It was, like, one thing that I knew. Same way I imagined someone who's a good dancer, which I was not. (laughs) (laughs) I did not succeed in tap and ballet, but I could write. And, I like, I remember there was a contest in elementary school where everyone would write a poem for Martin Luther King Day, and mine was selected to be read. And so I just knew that that was always my thing. So, um, yeah, so I always wrote short stories specifically and plays and, like, little weird things, poetry. And then I really, in, like, I would say late elementary school and junior high got bit by the acting bug hard. I was in... uh, youth group. I loved singing always too. So it was always arts for me. Like in any way. Do you that still was sing like in the thing. car or in the shower? And oh yeah. Got love. It. I love, I thought I wanted to be a musician. I really, I, 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 you could have been a Laurel Canyon, you know. You could have oh, been like I love a Joni. That those are my those are like my Joan people. Osborne oh, is sort of my, how. Oh, okay, I've seen no, for you. not no, no. Let's go back <laughs> to Joni Mitchell, Al- Al- Alanis, maybe or uh, like a loved Alanis, maybe a Jewel, loved a lot, loved Jewel. I yeah. had a real. I see you jewel. sleeping in your car. I would say I'm like you know that scene in How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days when Kate Hudson goes over with her CD collection. Can I to tell you a story? I've never seen that shit. I've never seen how to. Well, there's a. Should I watch this? Because I love rom coms. Has Kelsey seen it? I'm sure. I actually think it's a really good. Okay, I will watch it tonight and text you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's certainly enjoyable and it's clever. There's a scene. You know, they're both trying to for whatever machination that I cannot remember to save my soul. They're both trying to have the other break up with them first. So there's a scene where she is, she's being like the neediest, like most horrific girlfriend ever. And she goes over with her CD collection and it's like Sarah McLaughlin, Fiona Apple. And it's all my people. I am like, yeah. And Were you an Andy DeFranco thing, person as oh, well? Oh, I love on Indigo Girls. I've seen them all a thousand times. And by the way, I still love them. Hell yeah. Like, I just saw the Indigo Girls in Asheville like two years ago. I flew there to see a few bands. <laughs> like, I travel for my folk. Um, so yeah, so arts, that was my thing always. But I, um, in my uh, Catholic church, that we had a youth group and shocking, not shocking, the, the head priest loved musical theater. Okay. So he would put on a musical every year that once you were like in sixth grade, you could audition for. And they were actually really great. And so I did my first musical there, Godspell. And it was fantastic. And then we did The Sound of Music, and I was hooked. And so I thought for a long time I would pursue theater. I went to Stage Door Manor, that um, kind of bougie Catskills theater camp that like a lot of famous 
kids have gone to. I didn't know that at the time, but when I was there, Natalie Portman was there. Oh, and she had done The Professional. And I was like, what is this place? <laughs> Again, coming from Rhode Island, I didn't know anything or anyone. The most famous person I'd ever seen was Tony Petrarca, the meteorologist in the Rhode Island Mall. Like, that was it. And so I got there, and it was like all these famous kids, all these wealthy New York City people and L.A. kids, and Bijou Phillips was there, and Steven Tyler's daughter was there, and Joan London was there moving her kids into camp. It was it was another planet for me. So, again, like a kid with stars in her eyes, I was like, this is, this is magic. This yeah. Nothing's better. And actually – I did love the scrappiness of it. Like, it was not uh, as fancy as the people were. It was camp in the Catskills. It was yeah. 150 degrees. There were five girls in each room. But I loved it. You had three weeks to produce a play. And so it, it was truly just, I went to camp every summer, and I, I basically did summer stock. You you worked your butt off learning lines and, and songs and hanging out with other people who just were so happy to be there making something awesome. And that to me has always been what I love so much is like collaborating, making this thing from nothing, having it come together when you think it's never going to come together, which is fully what happens in multicam as we <laughs> totally. know. So <laughs> totally. I thought for a while, you know, I really, I envy people who knew exactly what they wanted to do. I loved so many aspects of it. I loved acting and music and writing. And so when I went to, I went to Emerson in Boston and initially, I think I was a double major in acting. I know I auditioned to go there. So I was definitely acting and I think writing. And very quickly, I was like, oh, I don't want to study acting. Like, I am not, I don't want to talk. I don't like classroom. I want to do. So I think we were doing like tongue exercises and, and talking about backstory. And I was just like, this is not for me. And I thought some of the people were really annoying. <laughs> like it was, I, it was a very quick left turn that I was like, this is not for me. Um, and so I really focused on writing in college and I loved it. I did short stories. I did some playwriting. I did a little bit of um, screenwriting or TV writing towards the end of school. And then senior year, Emerson had a program where you could come out for a semester to L.A., and I did it. And I interned at a casting office and took a few classes that they offered here on TV writing specifically. And yet again, the casting office, I was like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> the amount of – it was so depressing. I, I, it was for Mally Finn, who was a huge casting director at the time. This was like 2001. And she was doing one of the Matrix movies. I don't know which one at the time. I'm, that's not my world. Yeah, we don't have to date you. Yeah, okay. that's okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, Curtis Hansen movie. I mean, huge. And it was so eye-opening to me what was going on in there. Like the amount I, – I was an intern, so I would answer the phone, and immediately it would be an agent or manager just launching and just trying to get someone in the door. And it was also back in the day where headshots were hard-copied headshots, and people would come in instead of putting themselves on tape. And it was – so fucking depressing. I was like, I don't have a, the skin for this. This is not, it was just more information that that was not for me. And so I felt a little lost, honestly. Like I, I again, I envy people who in their twenties know exactly what they want to do. Mine were kind of a wash a little bit. I was, I was, I think I was a little bit, um, not to make this a therapy session. No, it, <laughs> no, I'm it was just, I, I finished school. I wanted to stay out in LA. I didn't know that I would stay forever I think I always thought I'd end up in New York and maybe pursue playwriting but I was just 
I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was interested, like I said, in music. I still loved writing. I didn't know how the sausage was made, though. Like, I I envy people like you that grew up around. Uh, you know what's so funny, though? I didn't either. Like, I just. How is I, that I possible? Was, I, because I was just like, yeah, like movie stars and then like premieres. Like, I don't know what happens in the middle of wow. it. Like, like, truly, I. And a lot of it was like. My dad is from St. Louis, and mm-hmm. he worked in this very, like, in, like, international acquisition. So it was, like, very, like, fringe in a way where, like, yeah, every once in a while, like, I got to go to a 101 Dalmatian screening or uh-huh. whatever because it was Disney. But it was this weird offshoot live action part of it. And so I didn't – I wasn't – you know, it's not like he was Jeffrey Katzenberg, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Like, it's like – Right. It was a totally different thing. And – Although, like, you know, I would, we would see, you know, you'd see a famous person at the gas station or whatever. Yeah. I just, my brain didn't know until I was a PA, like, oh, there's like a crew of people that do Even this. Growing up with kids whose parents were in the business, you didn't have any sense of I, it. I just was like, uh, you know, until you really, I got my first PA job when I was 17 and I was really like, oh, like, I didn't. I didn't really understand like how editing worked or like yeah. that, I, mean, I yes, was like when I learned there was like multiple cameras at the same time going I was like pfft, like head blow like yeah. I like I <laughs> I always thought like oh they shoot it one way and then they shoot it the other way and they're both right. there and then or like how is the other camera not in this shot I never really just like thought long and hard about it I think most of the time I was like just like thinking about homework and shit like yeah. it wasn't I guess there was such a, a deep mystery about all of it for me. And again, the stars in my eyes and not, it, it just felt like a different planet to me to live in a space where people make this amazing stuff. And yeah. I was intimidated by it. I didn't, I also really, truly, and I know this sounds crazy, I didn't know that writing was like how it worked. I didn't know that Same. TV writing was a job. And I don't know that I necessarily thought that like Jerry Seinfeld showed up and just looked at Julia Louis-Dreyfus and they just like bantered and that went on Dude, TV. Totally. But maybe? Like, yeah. I don't know. So I think there was just such a naivete and an intimidation and an imposter syndrome, like all of it combined. I felt like paralyzed, I think, for at least the first half of my 20s where I I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to break in. I didn't even know what I wanted to break in to do. So I kind of worked these very interesting jobs <laughs> to sort of figure out what my next step was going to be. My first was I worked at a um, recording studio that actually Dr. Dre was at every day, Amazing. which was crazy. It was crazy. Again, going back to like the most famous person I'd ever seen was Tony Petrarca at the Rhode Island Mall. Within months, I I can't like I cannot even tell you who came through. It's like, it, what's up, Heather? I mean, he was... <laughs> Lovely. He was really actually I'm great. Sure. He was the night and so hardworking. And Eminem was in there and Exhibit and Fifty Cent was recording his first album there. And then they would collaborate with everyone. So Gwen Stefani, Bono. I mean, these people would come in and I'd be like, Oh my god! Were you like sweeping the floors? I was like, a PA, so okay. I was like a, a runner. I would answer the phones. I would help them with whatever they needed to do. It was. It was all crazy. <laughs> and while it wasn't my style of music, it was like really fun. And it was, I could also write. Like I also did, I worked a shift on, I think I worked Saturday and Sunday afternoons. And then they would come in usually at night. And sometimes when I came in in the morning, occasionally they would still be there. And there was a little, you know, riffraff going mm-hmm. on, some fun stuff. But, um, it was pretty crazy. So I did that job for a while. Again, trying to figure out like, what am I doing? Um, and then I started working for 
a screenwriter, Paul Atanasio, and his wife, and I was a nanny for them. And he was so wonderful, and I saw his lifestyle, and he worked all the time, and he was working on uh, various projects, and it just looked really good. And he would talk to me, and they were also in the process of, you know, they did some TV stuff, and... I think at that point I was like, I need to not be so intimidated. I was around a real person who was a real writer. I saw that he really was in his office hours every day grinding. And I knew that I could do that. I didn't know how I was going to get to that point. And I I'm, I wasn't expecting him to help me in any way. I was taking care of his kids. And while I was very close with them, that wasn't what I was looking for. But it was enough for me to think, like, I need to get in. I need to get in there. I need to see how the sausage is made. Like, I'm ready now. I don't need to do these weird jobs. So a friend of mine that um, had worked for... Brian Robbins, who now runs, runs Paramount. Paramount. He was a director at the time and a huge producer. I mean, he had a ton of stuff going on. He was directing um, a remake of The Shaggy Dog for Disney, and he wanted an assistant. And she sent a blast, an email blast. And I was just like, I need to do this. I, I'm getting this job. So I met with the woman who runs his company. And we clicked, and the next day I went over to the production office at Hollywood Center Studios, and I had a meeting with him. And we just hit it off. I was kind of like, again, I'm pretty scrappy, and I was I was honest. I have no idea what this job is. I don't know how anything is done. I want to be a writer. I, I'm pretty sure I want to be a writer. Um he also, he is from Brooklyn. I think he loved the fact that I worked with Dre a little bit and liked those stories. And I think he felt like he could hang with me. And um, I got that job. And I worked for him for three years. And it was the fucking best. It was the best. I, I, it was the best time of my life. I loved everything about it. I loved him. I loved being on set. I Talk about learning how the sausage is made. I was in prep in production, in post with him on three huge movies. And it was, uh, I, it wasn't even film school. It was better than that. It was everything you could ever imagine. And he was so supportive. So he, I don't even know if they do this anymore, but like back then these movies had like a $60 million budget. They were sort of the middle of the road. This was pre-Marvel and all that stuff. But they would do these huge punch-up sessions before we shot them. And he would let me be the writer's assistant. And I'm talking like the people that would come in and again, this is like maybe archaic, but it no. goes to show the money they would throw at these writers on a Saturday to come in for five hours. I'm pretty sure Chris McQuarrie was at one of these. Like, it was bananas. Oh my God. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, so, yeah, he, he let me be the writer's assistant. And that was even more for me to get over the imposter syndrome and the self-confidence and everything that had tripped me up for so long and still does, by the way. Like, I will always battle that stuff. But... To see that these huge accomplished people are in a room and some of their pitches are dog shit, <laughs> you know, like a lot of them are great, but a lot of them aren't. And some of them didn't pull their weight and some of them were stars of the day. And then the next time we had a punch up weren't. And it was just more, more juice for me to be like, OK, I can do this. And 
again, like I just, it was the best. I, it was really just the best time of my life. Do you life. guys I'm keep like, in touch at all? Yeah, we do oh. actually. I just saw him for the first time in a while and yeah, he's great. I love him and he's been really supportive. And I, I also know that if I ever needed anything, he would back me up. That's, awesome. that's a favor I'm probably going to save for something no, really totally. big. No, totally. You got it. Yeah. I can't believe what's happened to his life. It's crazy. It's crazy, but awesome. Like deserving. No yeah. one works harder. And he was such an example of that, of like, work your ass off and good things will happen. And I really believe that. Um, so anyway, I, it was intense, three movies in a row, three years. And I finally was able to put together a sample that I felt like was uh, worthy of looking at. And he passed it along. He had a show at the time that was on Spike TV, which is hilarious. I remember Spike. <laughs> By the way, Heather, were you like reading scripts? Like how did you know how to like, Yes. Structure, so that's like... the other thing that was so great. So he, at the time, he was partnered with Mike Tolan. They had a production company, Tolan Robbins. And Brian was off doing these movies. And they, I think Mike was even directing at the time. But they also, when I first started for him, they had a show on the big five, Damn. which was like CW, ABC, NBC, all of them. They had a show on the air. So every, I read everything everything I could get my hands on. And because it is a different style of writing. Yeah. I come from a prose background. I studied poetry pretty intensively, which is actually very helpful because every word counts yeah. in poetry. Like every beat, there's a beat, there's a turn, there's a rhythm. And with comedy especially, it's like, so that was a, a good training ground, but nothing beats reading shit. Nothing. Like totally. I still read stuff Me all too. the time. Um, so yeah, I was in, I, that was uh, like, yeah, my film school, but reading, I read everything I could. I had to read stuff for him. He would ask for notes on stuff because he didn't have the time. He was directing. <laughs> so I would, you know, tell him what to say. Yeah, you're going to have a call and this is probably what needs some work. And um, yeah, so I read everything. And it's hard writing a pilot. Like it, this was past the time of writing spec pilots of shows that were on the air. So I, writing an original pilot ain't no joke. So it took a while to get something that I felt like I could stand behind and I wanted someone to look at. Um, what was it about? It was remember? about a family. It was kind of like a, a messed up family dealing with a daughter coming into her teen years and how it was going to upend the entire dynamic that they knew. And it was called The Family Unit. And it was... It was me. It was a lot of my childhood stuff. I felt like it had heart and good jokes. It's probably trash, and I probably will never read it again. But, I, I mean, I felt okay about it at the time. Um, and so he had that show on Spike TV called Blue Mountain State. And the first season, it was all dudes that wrote on it. And the second season, they really wanted to amp up a sister character. And this was back when the creators were able to say they really didn't want a woman on staff. And so I think Brian was like, I promise you she's chill. Like, this is not going to be some, like, person that if you say a dick joke, she's going to be like, oh, my God. So <laughs> I met with them. And actually, they had gone to Emerson. And I had kind of known them a little bit, but we weren't close friends. And so I met with them. And we just had a really great meeting. And they hired me. And that was my first on the spot? staff job. No, I found out probably a week later. That's what I want to know. Do you know where you yeah. were? Like, what, like when this moment happened? I know exactly happened. where Please, I was. You for take me so through it? many reasons. Okay, I love these so, stories. So, oh, this is a doozy. So I was in the middle of a horrific breakup. I mean, like, <laughs> like where I was like, I think I'm dating a serial killer. <laughs> Not only dating, but living with. Like, I was like, who is this person? 
And so personal life was in shambles. I was driving on Fountain, about to make a left on Gower, and Brian called. And he was like, I have really good news. And I was like, okay. (laughs) You're doing a lip quiver? Crying. I was already crying, so I was trying to sound like I wasn't crying. And he was like, you got the job. And I was like... Oh my god! I I couldn't even drive. I think I pulled over, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is so amazing!" And it was, I mean, it was the craziest time. I think it was like a thirteen-week writing gig, and I would go into work, cry in the bathroom, and then go into the writer's room and try and be funny for eight hours. Was the crying because of the breakup still? Yes. Okay. But it was such a welcome distraction. It was great, and it was, and I wanted to. I wanted to be the best thing that had ever happened to this goddamn show, and I needed that distraction. And it was so much fun. I mean, talk about room bits. <laughs> oh, my God. It was like I remember I think it was the second week one of the creators made – he was an epic prank phone caller. And I, I don't I, – I, he did it on the landline there. So he, he called Best Buy – and had this woman looking for an engagement ring that he lost and he was about to propose to his girlfriend, but somewhere around the 15 minute mark also started hitting on her. (laughs) So she's tearing through Best Buy, but also kind of starting to flirt with him. And I mean, I remember looking around the room and we're in this conference room and there are people biting, like literally biting their forearms, not because he's on speakerphone and it was, it was, what's better? <laughs> what is better? Especially pre-kids and pre-husband. I was like, I I could do this all day long for the rest of my life. And what is better? Nothing. It was the best. Nothing. It was the absolute best. Yeah. So that was my first gig. So did you, and you didn't have to pay commission to anyone on that. No, Amazing. I did not. I know, right? So was this the first time in your life you're like, I'm rich, bitch? Oh, my God. I remember doing the calculation. I think for the 10 weeks, I was going to make like 50 grand in 10 weeks. 10 weeks, house. What? I was amazing. Are you kidding you're me? like, I'm a millionaire. I was a millionaire. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it, I, I think I went to birds, and I was like, around on me <laughs> for just you two. But <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it felt life-changing. And it, by the way, it also was. Yeah. It was life changing and I was I was so grateful I'd worked so hard I look I got coffee for people until I was 30 and that is it's something it's not easy to feel like you're a smart person and feel like you have your shit together and go home for Christmas and your friend is buying their second home and like a banking executive and you know that's not for you but those voices of doubt man it takes a long time yeah and it took me a long time but it was it 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 was just a life change and i knew it and it was i was so grateful and i'm still so grateful it was it was a fucking blast was was undateable the next job after that <sighs> no so i did like i said it was only a, it was either a, i think it was a 10 week gig cuz i remember 50 grand was the number and i think as a as no was i a staff writer yeah i must have been i wasn't a story editor yeah. so yeah um, so it was a little bit longer than that because I think staff writer was in the threes or fours. So it was maybe like a 14-week gig, which was not that long. And again, I was rich, but wow, does that money I go know. quickly when you're I rich? Know. <laughs> I know. Peter Knight, by the way, Peter Knight speaking of him, he calls it sushi money now. The sushi <laughs> money. Yes, exactly. So I I did do another season of that. So I think there was a stretch there. I did work on a Disney kids show, which was huh. 
tough time. <laughs> I did a like a pilot, like a Disney pilot. Yeah. Uh, between Undateable and bar- working at Barney's, that okay. I was like, this is awful. Yeah, I have to say, I I'm not a credit snob. Money's money. I like nice things. I know that about myself. And also, I hadn't worked. I was so excited to write. I was like, give me. But it was it was brutal because it was. Till three in the morning. Oh my like god! Like regularly, I have thoughts on hours. I have, Me too. I have big thoughts on hours. Please, that was egregious. I, I, in my experience, if you're there late every night, you're working for a moron or someone who doesn't want to go home, and it's unnecessary. And it's also fuck you. You don't need to do it. Yeah. If you're if you do your job well, and you run a show well, and not everyone does, but. Uh, it's not okay. It's not fair. It's it's awful. It doesn't breed good work. At a certain point, diminishing returns. It's when people say brutal. like on Mindy we had sleeping bags or like on Spin City I, we had. I take tops. no pride. I was in like, that. I don't understand the the prideful notion of that. I think it's yeah. And I've heard horror stories, and I've been there. It's not great. I mean, I worked on a show once where we got out at four in the morning, and I was this. I was dating my now husband and I parallel parked outside of our apartment and um I think I had texted him that I was coming home I didn't wake him up but he always asked that I text him because it was continu- it was always late crazy late and I parallel parked and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye I see a guy run towards my car go behind my car and just duck behind it and not come out the other side and I was like what the fuck am I going to do? I am now parked, parallel parked. I, wh- what do you do? I, who am I calling? What am I doing? I sat for 20 minutes until it was almost like five in the morning at this point. And I was just like, I, I have to get out of here. And I just said a prayer and ran as fast as I could to get into my apartment. And I, I to this day, I have no idea what the fuck was going on. But like, fuck you. Yeah. That's not Okay. I, it's it's not okay and it's not necessary. I'm all about there's something really fun. Look, if you have a shitty read through or a, a crappy run through, yeah, let's get in there. I mean, we have to. <laughs> and then it's fun and you get dinner and it's awesome. But the every night thing is so not okay. Yeah. I mean, you were you there when Undateable became live or were you gone by that point? I left at that point. Because that was literally it's it, that was imagined what I imagine what writing on SNL is like because mm. we would just be there like round like they had a vulture writer come you know to like do a profile on like this crazy kooky live sitcom oh, wow. okay and I remember in that in it like me Craig Hobart so many of us were sick because we were working around the clock you do get and sick. like Steaky had like the flu but it was it was such a weird crazy it's time it's not healthy it's I, I also I mean I I hate to sound like I don't it's such a weird position because people would kill for these jobs, right? So you feel like you are in no position to complain. But at the same time, I'm good at my job. I work really hard. Don't, let's talk about these things when you're hiring. If you're the type of boss that you that wants to own someone, let me know, because I don't want to be owned. Yeah. I want to work really hard for you. And yeah. then I want to go home to my family. I like my life. Same. So it's just, it's tricky. Um, it shouldn't be. And also it's so hard, like when we would come home at three in the morning, I'd be like, I now need to stay up for another hour and like have a drink and Calm smoke down. weed just to like come down from the work day. But can you imagine doing that with a kid? No. Like I, it's I just not myself. even a possibility in my life anymore. Yeah. 
I'm, and it shouldn't have been back then. I could suffer through it. But um, yeah, so uh, to circle back, that was my experience on a Disney show. And I was just like, no, no. And then after that was undateable. And then it's been a lot. I mean, I... I have def- I've worked a lot, but on different jobs. Nothing's, you know, I just have not been able to get on that show that goes five, six, seven years. So I've been hired a lot, and I'm very envious of people who are like, oh, yeah, I was on this show for eight years. I'm like, oh, I know. dream. I know. Dream. But I, I have, know. I've had tons of experience and on all different types of shows and met some pretty amazing people and – it's been a ride. I hear the Kevin James thing was whack, so I won't ask you about it. I mean, you can. I mean, yeah, but it's just like nuttiness. I remember like yeah. you were dry, it was on in Long Island. You got to yes. go to Billy Joel, I remember. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I actually, I have to say, like, it did end up being fun. We, you know, this is pre-kids, so my husband and I ended up renting a place. And after I left the show, we had leased our house in L.A., so we still had to stay in New York for a while. And we just rented a place in Chelsea and went to three plays a week and ate every – I mean, my God, I ate everything. <laughs> everything I saw was uh, going in my body. So, yeah, it was amazing. It ended up working out. But it was a really um, – it was not fun. And it was also in 2016 – it was a bunch of Trumpers. Oh, so it was I didn't a know that. Gnarly. It was just dark. It was so dark. <laughs> and Long Island, where we were, we were at like an old. I'm trying to. It was like a space shuttle thing. I don't know. It was this hangar in the middle of goddamn nowhere. And I just remember the day after the election, driving there. I. It was. It was the darkest. It was like that deep fall sky that only the east coast can produce where it's like everything is gray the trees are gray and everything was just gray and i remember walking into the office and i heard from behind kevin's door all the dudes were in there and there was a party going on and someone said it's a great day to be american boys and i was like oh mommy i gotta go home <laughs> i don't belong here were you the only woman on that staff no there was one other yeah. One other. Yeah, and we had a yeah. There was no. They checked two boxes, Matt. They had two. <laughs> and then after that is the Mick, yeah. Yeah. So that's actually a fun story. So I I had a real as much as New York was great and living in Chelsea was so much fun. I really was like I don't know. I'd had a few rough jobs in a row, and I just needed to figure out a different way because you know for so long it was like get on network, get on network, and I'd done that a few times and it was brutal. So I was kind of like, I need to figure, I need to to drive this train. How am I going to drive this train? Am I going to just try to get into features? Maybe I think I wrote a drama script at that point, a pilot. Um, and then I watched The Mick, the first season of The Mick, and I was like, whatever this is, is awesome. Like, this is, I need to do this. How am I doing this? So I called my agent, and I was like, I have to write on this show. And she said, they are meeting people, not many, Um and I was like, whatever you do, you need to get me a meeting on this. And she called me back a couple hours later and she said, OK, I got you a meeting. They will not do it online. And it's tomorrow. And I was in New York and it's tomorrow at Three Arts on Wilshire, wherever it is. And I was like, you're like, I'm on 354th or whatever. <laughs> I was like, cool. So I bought a ticket for a lot of money that I don't even think I ever told Darren about. It was just, uh, you know, I got to go there. I got to go. I got on a plane. And I just met with the guys and I was like, I 
I will write the shit out of this. I know I know this tone. This is what I want to do. I Caitlin Olson is a goddamn dream. I have I have to do this. I, I mean, I begged them basically. And we had a great meeting and it took about a month. And this was a great phone call. So we were in the process of road tripping back from New York to our house in LA. And we went to Zion National Park. And there's a hike there called like Angels Falls. And it's bananas difficult and crazy. And Darren at a certain point was like, I'm waiting here. And I I was like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm going. So I went up. It was amazing and thrilling. And I was ex- I, I like, you know, it was a little bit of a mental thing. I needed some wins. I wanted to go back in a good space. I was excited about our road trip. And I come down from this peak and I'm in this little plateau and I see Darren and I just happen to check my phone and I have an email and it's from Dave and John and they're like, you got the job. Uh, They're going to make an offer. Don't fuck it up. And I remember screaming, I go, I got the job. And there was like a little group of hikers and they all started clapping. They didn't even know what job I got. But that felt like such a win and awesome. And that was a great experience. I loved every second of that. I just had Dave here and he, it's so funny. I started by asking him about this high school party that that became very famous because I nearly got killed. Truly, (laughs) like the Brentwood football team. Oh, no. And it was bro. It, it became such a. It was this girl's parents were out of town, and she lived next to the this guy named Gil Garcetti, who at the time was a district attorney of L.A. And so when that is your neighbor, and he comes over and is like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like truly, helicopter SWAT team. It was the craziest. It was like can't hardly wait. Like one of those parties where you're like, "Oh my god!" This house I is literally bursting it. at the seams. And he said, you know, we based By the way, I have to say, as a kid from Rhode Island, like, that is what I always envision parties out here being like for people who grew up out here. They were. It was a lot of boys with Escalades being like, oh, I'm going to fucking. There were kids that went to get laid (laughs) and then kids that went to start fights. But Dave (laughs) told me, he's like, you know, that that party where you nearly got killed, we turned into an episode of The Mick. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, there's a scene in The Mick, I think in season two, where two people are about to fight. And they, like the one, like the other people are like putting them up to fight against each other, and they don't even want to fight. Oh my god, I'm drawing a blank, but maybe I don't know. I, I don't remember him mentioning, but I also he wouldn't know that there was a connection there. No, so I don't but, know. He, but when he told me this, I was like, no shit. And he was like, yeah, I was thinking about it on the ride over here. I was like, <laughs> and because he was friends with the the tormentor, oh, so I was no. like, you, Dave Jernan. And he was I like, no, no. But what Dave. he told me, he's like, Matt, what you don't even know is that the kid was tormenting you. It was he was being puppeted by like his older brother's friends, and he kept turning around to us through gritted teeth and being like, "Guys, stop, stop!" <laughs> and like you didn't see that because you were too busy. Like literally, it made me get on my knees on a coffee table. Like, oh no, I was wearing a shirt that said "Slim Shady," and they're like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> "It was no, so bad. It was this so bad." Everything about it, it was awful. I'm so sorry. It's fine, but, but you're I, funny. No, oh, yeah, no, I didn't go to a, I didn't go to a party on the west side of LA ever again. Good, truly, I think you're I okay. I was fucking terrified. Oh my <laughs> god, that's horrible. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, but the other thing I wanted to ask you about is yeah. um, you had your own show, dumped. No, yes, yes. What, 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 what? Tell me, uh, because last time I talked to you, I saw on deadline like yes, a oh, room has been ordered for Heather Flandon. Yes. I was like yes, the old she did deadline it. announcement that I felt like I was strong armed into. It's oh, because so you, you did not want to. I don't know. It always feels icky. I'm not good at that stuff. I don't like it. I don't. I, I always the way that I as a 
the people that know those people, we yes. cheer for you. It's like, oh, you it's better you than some right. weirdo schmuck. And when I see someone that I like have a win, awesome. Yeah, I but just, as the person, you just hate no, it. No, I hate it. Okay. I, I like, I hate. I thought I looked like a frog in my picture. <laughs> I'm like, I have very thin skin with anything like that. Like, I just don't. It's okay. I'm confident. I, I'm confident in the sale. I okay. worked really hard. I wrote a great spec. I stand by my work. Um, yeah, so I wrote a spec pilot that we sent around and Capital loved it. And what's working with Aaron Kaplan like? Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Next question. I will scratch that like from the him. record. I like him. I it was grueling to get it to a place where I felt like we made a lot of lateral moves and I think I think that's his process. I think he wants to look, he's a master seller. He is gonna sell most yeah. of the stuff that he puts out there and he's really good at it and he obviously has great taste <laughs> but he i think at least my perception of what was going on there is he wants to stick you especially with something that was a pretty like it was a concept and it had to it was for streaming for sure so it was it was a full show we brought a show to them not just a pilot yeah. so i think he wanted to know that he was going to stick me in a room where any question that came my way, I could answer it fully and wholly and in a satisfying way that someone would want to put some money behind it. Got it. But it took like a year, yeah. even though the pilot changed maybe a word. So it was a lot of work. Um, and there was a little bit of a bidding thing that went on and Ooh. it ended up at Netflix. And I was think- it where like, they're at this. They're at this. Like, were you like fielding calls all day? No, where you're like- because that's the other thing. When you're with Aaron Kaplan, whatever he thinks is right is what's going to happen. Got so it. I was just sort of, look, I heard a number that it was definitely going to be at least that. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Let God. me know. Um, but I think, especially now after the strike, I think what went on in that mini room is exactly why we are you know, after a hundred plus days where we are. And I think all those changes were necessary because it was very obvious to me that the system is so broken. Um, It was tough. It was tough. So yeah, they ordered a a mini room and we had, how many weeks did you have? 10 weeks. Um, And it was to come up with the Bible, which is the hardest part. I mean, and you have to break the entire season and uh, it was on Zoom, which I also think is a little, little tricky. Oh, I also felt like there was, I was able to hire three other people, one of whom was uh, just l- let me put my dog in the square on Zoom and let's do, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that. Say less. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so. Yeah, and what they were asking for was reasonable, but the process is just so broken. And look, at the end of the day, I turned in the Bible, two extra scripts, and the pilot rewrite, which was like barely anything. And it was very clear that they wanted something different than what my vision was. They wanted, you know, they had, Netflix had such success with the Tinder swindler. Mm -hmm. And I think they wanted the crime story and the mystery to be, very much like that and it just wasn't and it, it, it that that had no legs to me and it wasn't about that it was about women of a certain age which is not old but women who are sort of stagnant and they don't know it and they've sort of lost their ambition and their drive and they're on the cusp of 30 and they uh, they need to make some decisions in their life before 
you know, they go down a path where they can't really come back from. And of course, it's a comedy and there's a mystery and it's really fun. But I think it also, you know, the development process just took so long. Like when I sent that pilot out, only murders in the building hadn't even been made. There weren't a lot of crime comedies. And um, by the time that I was in that mini room, it was so saturated and it just felt it was just not great. I feel the same way about Fairfax. It's just because the animation process takes so long. By the yeah. time it came out, it was like, it wasn't even cool anymore. Yeah, you know? I know. It like, it's hard. We... Yeah, it's really hard. It was a it was a bummer. It was so much work, too. I was just like, oh, my God. And the Zoom thing and being a boss for the first time. And What was um, your interview? Like, what were you looking for? Like, when you were like, were you looking for killer drafts, people that you just didn't want to murder? You know, like... You know, it was a real, it was very eye-opening to me. I was a little bit hesitant. I, you know, at this point, I have a lot of friends, right? I have a lot of really talented friends. And I was very hesitant to hire friends. Yeah. It made me nervous. I hired a girl. I had been on a show, again, speaking to, like, how effed our industry has been. I was on one of those shows that was Warner Discovery. Just It was literally about to shoot. And Damon Waynes Jr. was in Vancouver, about to shoot this thing and he pulled the plug on the whole thing. So we worked for 16 weeks on a show that just didn't get made. Um, But I had worked, there was a story editor on that show who was fantastic. So she was the person I hired because I only knew her in a work capacity. We weren't friends and it felt like the softest version of that that didn't feel risky. Um, And then I was looking for a really solid number two and that was the hardest hire. And I don't know, man. I, I'm only hiring friends from now on. I just not that it, it was just I think I think it's beneficial to be able to to hire people you've worked with before. It's just hard to know what someone's going to bring and yeah. how hard they're going to work and what they, you know. I'm yeah. always curious about like how people like, yeah, when it's fun in the first few weeks and it's like blue sky and everyone's yeah. eating candy. But like when it sucks, like. What are people like? What are then? people like? And that's what I'm always. And curious what's the about. attitude like? And and I will say like it was a great gig. I was for I for sure I'm not keeping people on Zoom. We worked four to six hours a day, but we worked hard. Mostly four, honestly. People would have little assignments, but uh, it was a grind. It was still a grind on Zoom. That's all you're doing is working, right? Yeah. And it's a it's a lot. But I. Yeah, I don't even know what else to say about it, but it was. <laughs> were you when it went? So you were not surprised that it didn't move forward. I was kind of over it, and I know that's a terrible no, way to think about it. But I was just like, I, I, "What's the other thing that I have to make this fucking thing?" <laughs> you know, it was just it was hard. It was hard in a way it shouldn't be that hard. And I, the Zoom thing was a drag. The development process had been so. At a certain point, I was like, "What is this?" What is this? And I knew what it was. And again, like I was so I felt really good about the work that I did. And that's that's the win. Right. Like I was like I turned in two great drafts. I I gave them to friends who read them. And I mean, I know they were good. And if they don't want to make it, they don't want to make it. Yeah. It's out of your hands. It's out of my hands. I made money. I, I had a good year. Hell yeah. And, you know, at a certain point, like it's fine. Moving on. I think it's so funny what you said earlier. It's like truly our income vacillates from like six figures to literally <laughs> one yeah. figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year was a good year. And wow, does that make this year look not so good. What, so what like what do you want to do next now that like we're allowed to, you know, it's like our show's even staffing. Like what the fuck? I fu- know. I Yeah, not now, but I think they will be. I've, I have... I'm working on two features right now and I've never worked in that world. And that was my first love was movies. And I don't know why I haven't really 
push that. Yeah. And I, again, for me, I love the writing. Like I love the telling the, the story and I like working alone. Um, so I'm working on that right now. Uh, I'm. I have a novel idea that I might get into. That feels. Let's get you back to prose, oh, Heather. Oh, here it comes. And I know that sounds like the lame. Like, oh, I'm gonna write my novel, but Why? I really, uh, you know, even just from a business point of view, it's IP. And in this world we're living in, where people need that like piece of something, and if that's what I love to do, why not? So I'm not putting my eggs in the staffing basket Me and either. not even in the selling. I mean, I have sort of a loose area for a TV show, but it's not what's lighting my fire right now. The two feature ideas I'm loving and I'm working on. And I find that when I'm in the space to write, I just have to get it out or I'm not going to do it. So yeah. that's where my focus is. And I also think it's funny, like people in the feature world are always complaining. They don't get to have anything produced. Like, you know, I live in a $5 million house and I don't even have a credit on IMDb. <laughs> but I'm like, that's what I want. I don't want credits. Like, I'll sure I'll just write features, and no one will ever even know. It sounds good. I've produced, uh, like, I've had my name on a lot of stuff. I've been on set a bunch, and so maybe that's the next chapter. I don't know. I'm open to it, but yeah. Is we'll the see. book like you know, like, is it like one of those? Do you imagine it become like a where the crawdads sing or like? Uh, no. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> where the crawdads? Like, no, I don't feel. I didn't like read that's it. It was just like a very house. popular. No, I've kind of been into. I feel like this would be a, you know, the uh, Tom Perota, the book Little Children. Mm-hmm. I feel like I that's that the the area about mommy culture. Wow, it's, I like this. I it's uh I have a lot of thoughts on mommy culture. It really. It's a thing right now. Um, so it would be, yeah, it's, th- that would be a comp. You know, my wife and I, sometimes we like, we get into arguments because Kelsey, first of all, she's an incredible mom. She does follow like a lot of like mom Instagrams. Yeah, 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 me too. And Dr. Becky? Uh, Come on. There's another one, Jenny Mooney's that we followed. Oh, I don't you know. Oh, we love Jenny Mooney's. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to get into that. Okay. Okay. Um, and sometimes, like, when, like, Mia won't listen or, and, like, Kelsey's like, Mia, I know you're having a lot of big feelings. And, like, she turns into, like, <laughs> woke mom or whatever yeah. you want to call it. And it makes me nuts because, like, A, I know that, like, I have impulse control issues from, like, being a child with ADHD. And, you know, like, my parents were much more, like, you know, like, they did the, like, the mouth squeezy <laughs> thing. And, like, you know, it was, like, the fucking 90s. It was yeah. the, like, mouth out with soap and oh, shit. Oh, I just got, you're being dramatic. Stop it. And I was like, uh, okay. Your kid said that to you? No, that's what my parents oh, would my. say to me. Like, if it wasn't shut up, it was that. It just, I mean, it didn't work out for me. I don't know about you, but I'm not doing well. <laughs> my dad would turn to my mom and go, Stephanie, disengage. <laughs> so smart. I know. But uh, I think like someone's got to do like a fucking skewer. Yeah. Did you read that? There was an article in New York Times about how like Instagram parenting is a thing and it's based on all of these, you know, parenting things. But I will say it works like with Maeve when I say to her like, God. And this is uh, you're going to want to die because I'm going to do exactly what your wife does. But it really works if I say, God. I hear, wouldn't it just be the best if we could just sit right now and eat 55 ice cream pops? I I would love, who wouldn't want that? But we just can't. And it stinks. Doesn't it stink? And she'll be like, 
And she calms down. And I'm like, God damn it, Dr. Becky, this shit works. Yeah. But it is. It's Instagram parenting. And I look, if it diffuses it anything to get her to bed, I'll do any I will do anything. I really will. But I don't think saying shut up and you're being dramatic worked well for no, me. So I will not for me. but it is a thing like parenting in this world of of judgment and the rules and it's a whole there's also and this is sort of what the book will circle around and I have the title and everything called sharing there's a there's a very secret at least on the in East LA I live in Atwater and there's a a mom group where you share items and mm-hmm. so and you never and, have to buy them but, but you can only get in if someone leaves so there's like a list for this but you can also share if I am a manicurist. I will give you a manicure. If you're a hairdresser, you give me a hair. So it's all this sharing. And there is, I believe, rage just under every share. It's there. And it comes out, you know, someone will say something and it'll be misinterpreted. And I'm just fascinated by the pressure moms are put under and put under each other. And we're all trying to keep it together, but there's such a palpable rage under all of it. And I have it too. I mean, it's, it's too much. No one can do it. We don't have help. I could go on and on, but it's something to explore there under the guise of this, like, we're going to make a community. We don't have, it's not like our parents when they had family members and there's just a rich area there for something I have a lot to say about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Kelsey joined, uh, she had gnarly postpartum and I was like, you know, and she's from Maine. And so like, she has like two best girlfriends, but she needed like a group of women that were going through what she was going through. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to like mansplain what she needed, but like, I felt like I couldn't, there were, I had prided myself on like whatever she needed or wanted, like our whole life. Like I'll help you. Like, that's just like, whatever. I'll like, we're a partner, we're Mm -hmm. a team. And this was the first time I was like, I am of no use. I Other know. than like changing a diaper and whatever. It's like, and you I really will, are I like, that's never, just the I, truth. Yeah, I will never understand <laughs> how you feel. Yeah. And so, um, I found out that like a couple girls were starting a baby group and I was like fucking Frank Underwood and house of cards, like whipping votes to like get her into this baby group. <laughs> and, uh, Kelsey, like the, the women in it, like a lot of their, like one of their husbands is in the strokes. One of their husbands oh, is an MLB pitcher. Yeah. Like oh, the first wow. the first day. <laughs> That's the, hard. The first day, <laughs> someone came up to the group and was like, whoever's Lamborghini SUV is in the driveway, can you please move? Like, this is her baby group. But I will say they are the loveliest, yeah. kindest. But right. I totally think there is, I mean, just with Kelsey, just like she feels like. She's like, I, Mia climbs on me all fucking day long. And then you think I have to fucking deal about your needs. Like you try to like, fuck me. Like I get it. It's so hard. <laughs> that part of it is so hard. The giving, the giving, the giving. And it's such a mixed bag because the truth is there is so much love there, yeah. but there's also, it's so fucking hard. It's such a drain. And it's just, I also think you're just like the exhaustion I feel at the end of the day, I, I cannot, I've never felt this before. I don't know, like, I, I'm five years in and I, it just gets worse. <laughs> like, I don't, I also, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when on staff, like, I remember working with people who had kids who would come in Monday morning, like, <laughs> and I would be like, what the fuck are you smiling about? Like, the weekend just ended, dude. And now I'm like, oh my God, it's Monday yeah. morning. Yeah. Woo! 
are just so because it's you need a reprieve. You yeah. just do. That, but then you feel my, guilty. I'm like, no, the weekdays are the weekends now. Yes. Oh, Monday is the goddamn best day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So terrible. <laughs> but it's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. What I'm I'm curious about Maeve's bedtime. Why like because oh, she be, why why are you gonna bring this up? This no, is because just, because we're in it so hard. We're about to do the like. Trans, you know, it's like you okay. take one wall off the crib, and it's like a, you know, like a. We went right to a bed. What? Yeah, this is what yes. I want to know. And it what worked really for? well, but we also Maeve is a child that like getting her excited for big girl stuff with a few weeks buffer works really well for us in every facet. If it's like we're gonna switch you to under, we're just talking yeah. about it. So it was like we had her pick out her bed, and it was like we're gonna get a big girl bed, a princess bed, and she was so excited. Finally, we were like. I think, what, what do you think? Like, you tell us, are you ready for your big girl bed? And she was so ready, so she never got out of it. In fact, like, we were kind of blown away. And at a certain point, I turned to Darren, I was like, I don't think she knows she can get out of her bed. <laughs> like, I think she thinks it's like a crib. And sure as shit, for almost a solid year, she did not, she would call us from the bed to come get her in the morning. That's she incredible. would, yeah, she never, she never got out. Like I know people have the lock on the door and feel like, or like the just, light or it's like red light, green light. Uh, we do have the light, but it's, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't she's work. Up, no, okay. but it's fine. I'm up early, so I don't mind. She gets up at an okay hour, but we, we, she's never been like the jailbreak kid who's up at two and three and four. And but that said, getting her to bed, like bedtime and the excuses. That's and, what, that's what I, because we <gasps> is doing that now too, where she's like, yeah, I need water. I need a milk. I'm, I'm, I'm starving. Yeah, I'm like, scared. Do the monster I need to go check. I'm like, it's like, and she would, Maeve will want Darren to do it because he's the sucker. Say what, and I am, so like, one parent is always the sucker and I'm not. And so I, bedtime for me is a breeze. Like I've definitely said, Darren, go get a drink. Don't come home yet. Do not come home because you're going to, fuck this whole thing up and I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> Familia side, bitch, go to the bar. But I, I, that's very true for every friend that I have. That one is usually the softer parent that the, the kid is probably closer. Like Dar Maeve is Darren's girl. Like they have a thing that she and I don't have at this point in time. Like that is her parent. That is her. It's a thing. Um, but bedtime with him, she gives him a run around with me. She is, because it's just not an option. She yeah. knows that I will lock that door. I've never done it, but I've told her I will. Oh, she and has she a knows, lock on the door. Yeah, but no, I've never I'm not, used I'm not, I, it. See, I had one on my door. I feel like every, yeah. And I have a friend who is who has a three and a half year old who's having a lot, like she keeps waking up at three in the morning and Ugh. they were like, do we put the lock on the door? Yeah. And my parents, like, because I started slamming the door, my dad took the door off. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, that's that a baller move. I never had that. That that's was tough. so rough. Yeah, just the threat works with Maeve that I will lock it. Yeah, it's so. Does she get up in the middle of the night? No, now? I mean, or now she just won't go to bed. She'll get up sometimes if she has a bad dream. It's getting her to bed. It is like that witching hour, that six thirty to sometimes eight. If it's like the goal is seven fifteen in bed, uh, never happens. But that's the goal. It happens with me. And that's not to say Dara's not a great parent, but there's always one that the kid is just. She's going to try everything. I mean, the rule was we do two songs, two stories bed he is now up to i heard something like all right this i've sang you eight songs this is the last one and i'm like what are you 
doing? I know with Kelsey, I'm like, she's like, I literally the other night I was like, she's manipulating you, like in front of her. <laughs> oh, I, I've done that too. And he will look at me and he will be like, you just dressed me down in front of my daughter. And I'm like, someone has to do it. Like, and again, the rage in those moments. Because the truth is, like, listening to them go through that is so, I don't know if it's a mom, like, physical thing. My stress level is so through the roof. And I also, I get up at like 5.30, man. By 7 o'clock at night, I'm as done as she is. Like, I have nothing left to give. I want a tantrum. Like I, So to hear them fight and like the escalating voices and know that there's a way to stop this and not be able to do it and to just let them finish whatever they're going through is horrible. Yeah. Horrible. It is not fun for anyone. But, you know, it's phases. Like, I will say we've had a good two weeks now. Where she's been pretty chill with him, um, yeah, it's it's always a phase, right? I think sharing is going to be huge. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm sitting over here like, how do I option this before it's ready? <laughs> we got to get the galleys. Yeah, there's a I I Heather. I, I'm serious. I think that's such a good idea, and you could like you're. I, you're gonna have I, your own Cape Cod house from this. Oh, good. It's gonna Martha, be a I want Martha's read. Vineyard though. It's gonna be a vacation read. You know, like it is. But here's I feel this way about the Brett Easton Ellis stuff. Like I. I like reading real, like well-written stuff. Like I'm not a beach read gal. I can't do it. I've tried so hard and I'm like, this is trash. Uh-huh. That's not to say like I, I could get into a Daniel Steele. I ripped through those through high school, but like a lot of the stuff that I can't even think of an author right now that I see in airports, for example, like a Chelsea Handler, like, no, 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 I'll read that okay. stuff. I love <laughs> that stuff. Oh my God. No, I'll read like bios and okay. comedic essays and stuff like that. But I mean, there's a specific, like a beach. The Art of Fielding, like one of those. Oh, like... I, I have that. I don't think I've read it. Or but like, you know... No, I mean, there's literally like a book called, um, oh God, there's, uh, I can't think of the author. It's Colleen's, Colleen Hoover, I think her name is. And she sells a million books and she probably comes out with six a year and they're huge. But I tried to read one and I was like, I just can't. They're romantic or they're about like long lost friends. And there is, that's a thing that's not what I like and that's not what I want to write. Yeah. So, but to Brett Easton Ellis, it like, he's a fantastic writer yeah. and he's writing about really fun, poppy stuff. So I feel like, what I love about Tom Perota and what I love about little children is it's like, it's, it has something to say, but it's also funny. Yeah. And so I feel like that is the space that I want to exist in. I just have to, it's a lot of work. Well, we want that for you. <laughs> I want, I want you to be like a huge author. and just, I, I would be such a good, huge author. I, know. I really, oh my, I'd wear robes everywhere. Oh, by the way, the other thing I wanted to tell you is yeah. you um, introduced me to Isabel Morant, and you don't even know oh, it. Oh, girl. To the Fairfax premiere. I'll show you in there. I have. I, Are you head to toe? I wasn't head to toe, but the sweater that I wore is like hot pink, and yes. then it goes into dark red. Oh, and I it, love it. It's like it. the most expensive thing I own. I and hear I saw it. it, and I was like, and people are like, people when people ask me like, who's your favorite designer? I'm like Isabel Morant. They're yes. like, how do you even know her? I'm like, there's this woman Heather Flanders. She had a pair of shoes on Undateable. That's right. Yeah, that's I, what I learned. So I thank you. I for do that. a little high low. I'm not like so am I'm, I. Yeah, I'll nine get, inch nail shirt, Ralph yes, Lauren shorts. Exactly. I'll go like I'll do a Target dress and a Chanel bag. I'm all good. I it's it is what it is. What brings you joy is good. Heather, I wanted to thank you for coming out and doing yes. this because you're so spectacular, oh, and I I truly. I truly want you to be this huge fucking author or showrunner, like whatever you want to ta- be. You deserve yeah, it. I think author. Let's go with okay, that. Okay, let's now. go with that. Yeah. That's great. I love it. <laughs> what were you going to say? You were about to say something. Was I? I don't know. 
I don't think so. Do you have any last advice for people that what that are like just like about to be a writer or like going to their first writer's room? Like what would you tell oh, the someone? Writer's like, room. I'm curious, like what would you tell someone on day one of like you're a staff writer? Oh, I have thoughts. Okay. Hit me. I would say I heard someone else say this, and I, I don't know who it was, but they're really smart. They said, don't wait too long to talk. And I think that's true. I've made that mistake before when I was younger, because the second you do speak, all eyes are on you and your nerves are, you're fucked. You got to talk that first week in some way, shape or form. It doesn't, there's, you need to have an ability to read a room and know when to contribute, but hear your voice in that room and say something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not, you're the quiet guy. And then all of a sudden you speak and all the heads are suddenly on you and you're paralyzed. That would be, I, I would have benefited from hearing that. Cause there is such a fear. A lot of people are like, don't talk. You're not there to talk. I, I think there's a, a, a line, yeah. but I do think you have to say something or yeah. else you run the risk of not talking much at all and being that person. Um, I also, and uh, I might be alone on this. I like a healthy dose of fear in my younger writers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was so scared. Be scared totally. a little bit. Be wanting to work your ass off and be a little bit intimidated. You should be. It's yeah. a big deal. This is a, a lot of people wanted this job and they picked you. Be nervous. Nerves are good. I like that. <laughs> I don't want, I don't need, there's enough bravado in the world. We don't need it from <laughs> you. Um, and then the other thing, especially as a staff writer, is like, even if, like at the end of the day, I, I would always, and I still do this, like, what did I, con I want to go home feeling like I contributed something. Not all days you end up feeling like you've had a big win. But even if it's a great joke or something that you've had a fix, like I love coming up with a fix. Like every day try to, try to you know, come up with something in a meaningful way. And even if you haven't had the most productive day concretely, have a great attitude because that's a contribution. Like laugh hard. Be like, we can do this, guys. When you're digging in like, Nothing is better than someone who's positive when yeah. it's so dark in that motherfucking room. Because sometimes it is. I know. And sometimes the showrunner wants to murder everyone and you know it. And it's like you can hear a pin drop. Smile. Keep a smile on. Like read a room. Don't be the idiot that's like the movie smile when everyone else is <laughs> freaked out. But like I do think there's something to be in the lightness when stuff is stressful that sometimes the upper levels can't can't bring. Um, yeah. So that would be that. All right. Well, Heather, keep your eyes peeled for sharing coming to a bookshelf <laughs> near you. In 2029. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.